Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. So as we begin today's service, um, something we're going to be talking about is, uh, is really related to what we're going to be celebrating, about how I thought I was controlling it. Is it working? You may have to do it. Go ahead and throw up the title slide. Mine seems to be lagging. So about how he makes all things new. And as I was really praying about uh, the next couple of weeks, because we're going to talk about it this week and next week as well, about how he makes all things new. He is the renewer of all things. How many of you are glad that God can make all things new? I don't know what you've been through, but I have been through just enough to know that, man, I... I mess things up when I try to fix them. Like literally, that is what I do. It doesn't matter if it's around my house um, or anywhere else. And uh, it literally usually gets worse with me trying to fix it. In fact, how many of you watch the show, you can throw the next slide up, of Chip and Joanna, right? They have Fixer Upper. And I I hate that they've pulled it off the air. It's one of my favorites. And uh, Candy still gets the Magnolia Journal. She got it for Christmas, a subscription. And it was sitting in their bathroom. And I was, you know, flipping the pages I was in there and uh, just reading some of the good articles. And and it just reminds me of how much literally Chip can take. I mean, the the house could be condemned, Rick, literally condemned. And you're like, there is no way I'm picking that one out of the three they showed him. There's no way. And then the couple will pick that one, right? Because Chip and Joanna have have like sold them this vision of something that like you would You'd have to be dumb to believe, but you know Chip and Joanna can do it, and it's going to be amazing. They, I think they could probably give us a cardboard box and show us this cardboard box, and it's going to have shiplap here, of course, right? I call it, I call it chiplap because it's Chip and Joanna, and he always includes it, so it's chiplap in, in that show. But he can literally, they can take anything and make it look amazing. And I've got to admit that that's, that's not my skill set, like personally, at all. I didn't grow up building things. I, you're not going to want me to help you work on your car. It will not go back together. We will be missing parts. It, it's just not the way I'm wired. Uh, I can help you with uh, creating a website, maybe doing some sh- you know, photography and editing and things like that, but I'm not going to help you build something if you want it done right. In fact, it was a couple years ago, we had had a lot of rain and the roof began to leak a little bit and we're going somewhere. And as, as our, our slope ceiling like this, it's a, it's a vaulted ceiling, kind of flows into the kitchen and it plateaus to a little cubby where we eat and the kids' table's there. And we see all this rain and all of a sudden in, in the line where it begins to flatten out, it is literally just puddling and dripping. And I'm like, oh no, what's happened? And uh, I don't know the slightest thing about roofs. I didn't roof my own. I hired someone due to hell damage. Thank the good Lord. It was only deductible. Got a new one. And, and here we were. And I'm like, I'm going to fix this though, Rick. I'm going to figure out where it's leaking. I'm going to get up there. And I did. I got up there and I tried to fix it. But the next time it rained, it still leaked. And now I have a roof with like all this black spray rubber around, like where all the pipes come out. I'm like, that's got to be it. Hit them all, you know? And so I'm hitting them all. And like, and then I'm like, maybe it's right here. I see some. And so I've got like now, every time I mow the yard, I see this black streak across my roof where I tried to fix this leak. 
and it didn't work, right? So it drives me bananas. So I call a guy who actually knows how, my, my handyman, who I keep you know, in my contacts. For $75, he came out and filled in the valley that just was dipping too much and causing the water to back up during a heavy rain. For $75, I could have saved myself the headache of looking at these modifications that did no good. And I don't know about you, when it comes to my personal life, it's not much different. I try to fix things. I try to fix my anger issues. I try to fix my, my lack of patience. I try to fix my overreaction, my OCD. You know, I try to fix myself. I try to fix issues and even addiction and, and things like that. I try to fix it. And I don't know if it's worked for you, but usually for me, I just find myself in this spiral and going around the mountain one more time and realizing that my modifications really aren't fixing anything. As a matter of fact, I'm making things worse. I'm more frustrated. I'm looking at something and it was never intended to look like this because I've tried to fix what God never intended for me to fix. And that's what I want us to talk about today, about how he makes all things new. And that next slide, would you throw up that point how we attempt to fix what God simply wants us to surrender and I think more often than not, here we are saying, God, okay, I see this area. Maybe you're you know, bringing it to light, or I'm just frustrated with myself here, and I want this relationship better, and I'm going to work. Man, I, and in the spiral of guilt and shame and guilt and shame and guilt and shame, we begin to try to fix, and God is just saying, I want you to surrender. Just surrender. Just give it to me. And I don't want that to sound like, oh, but Michael, there's some tools that the Lord can give us. Yes, there is. And just, just like we're having the relationship tune-up, I believe that there are things that we can do. We can grow in our communication, in our relationships. There are some tools that we can learn. There's some experiences we can have uh, to, that will help us. But more often than not, we use those to try to fix problems where God is just saying, surrender. And if we don't start from that vantage point, if we don't start from the place of surrender, we'll never be able to walk it out in his strength and his empowerment. Isn't that true? How many of you, like me, would say, man, I've tried to fix stuff and it didn't work? And I think that's one of the beauties of, of my testimony. Because I think when we look at how he makes all things new, we'll throw that title back up. And Jared, I'm going to hand this to you. It's not working. I don't know if you can fix it. I'm just going to give it back. And um, not during a message, it's not. So what I realize is that when he makes all things new, we come to him from this place of surrender, and we allow him to do the work. And I want to spend a few moments today of just showing you how through Scripture this has been his original plan for us. How from the very beginning, thank you, Jared, how from the very beginning, literally in the garden, his desire was to make all things new. And so since Genesis 3, really, since the fall, I believe, I believe that God has desired to walk with us. And let me just, for a disclaimer, because I know I threw Fixer up, or up there and we're talking about, you know, some renovations. You're not a project. I'm not a project even to God. And if you're in a relationship where you feel like you're a project, I'm sorry. That's not the way you should be viewed. Okay? You're not a project. You're a person. And what that means to me is that God's not trying to fix you. He is trying to uncover and unpack all the design that is inside you that he put there, the purpose, the plans, the giftings. He wants to bring all that out. You're not a project. And so as I look at Scripture and I think about how God walked with us in the cool of the day, 
and he would come and commune with us, that he wanted to be with us. Literally from the beginning, we see that he created us. He created us male and female. He created us in his image. And he created us in his likeness because he likes to dwell with himself, within his own likeness in his image. And so as I, as I look at this in Genesis 3, I see that he didn't want us to be alone, and he gave us someone to live it in community. The kids are having a good time already. Yeah. And that all the while, he wanted to dwell among us and have real relationships. And, and when we see that, when him, with him coming in the cool of the day of Genesis 3, what's the very first thing that, that Adam and Eve do in response? They hide. They, they cover themselves. They create an artificial um, dynamic of their relationship with him because they feel like they can't come to him as they once were, as he created them to be. And so I don't know about you, but usually when I come to God and I've got some sin, I've got something I'm trying to hide, there's something I'm ashamed of, even in my relationships with, with you guys, I will try to cover that part of me. Because I'm afraid that if you see that, what if you reject me? What if you don't like it when you see everything that I am, my, my frailties and my failures? What if I can't genuinely be myself? And so here we are, Adam and Eve in the garden, they've, they've eaten of the knowledge of good and evil. They're not living from life which God has intended for us to live from. And I hope that in here that you receive life, that you don't receive these, these lists of rights and wrongs, these do's and don'ts, because that's never going to bring you life. To me, that's the, that's the knowledge of good and evil. And for us, we are to walk in the life. And, and if we're not walking in life, we immediately we are, we're cognizant of, of what I've done, what I'm ashamed of, who I am, my identity's wrapped up in it, and we begin to hide it. And God says, where are you? This is his words to Adam and Eve, and it's to us again today. Where are you? And finally, when they come out, they're covering themselves with some fig leaves, some modifications. They've tried to fix it. They're trying to cover what they believe now is wrong. And he says, who told you you're naked? Who told you that you needed to hide from God? Who told you that he wouldn't accept you the way that he created you? Who told you that you weren't enough anymore that you needed to add to? Who told you that? And I look at God's desire never changing throughout Scripture, but the rest of the story were it to be. The rest of Scripture is unfolding what I would call his redemptive plan. His redemptive plan to make all things new. His redemptive plan to restore what once was from the beginning in the garden. So would you journey with me? I want us to go to Leviticus 26. To me, this is where God is earmarking what the covenant would be like with the Israelites. And even though we see that it had its successes and failures, I believe that it still exhibits to us God's desire that he has for us today. And so Leviticus chapter 26, it says, I will put my dwelling place among you. This is the Lord speaking. And I will not abhor you. I will not hate you. Verse 12, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. And then he continues on. In verse 13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. And to me, this is where, this is where he starts with, with the Israelites, is that I want to be among you. 
He's trying to restore what has been lost. And you see, he says, I want to dwell among you. I'm I'm not against you. I don't hate you. And he says, I want to walk among you again. What does that remind you of? He came and walked among them in the cool of the day in the garden. Again, restoring what once was, that intimacy that they had with him. And he says, and you will be my people. And so there's this idea that God is really, it's, it's really, really simple. And Rick and I have been talking about this is that there's these simple things of God simply wants us, the first purpose that he has for us is to know him, is to simply just know him and to be known by him. How many of you know it's not just simply, God, I want to come to church, I'm going to read your word, I'm going to, and know him up here, but God, I'm going to let my heart and the guard that I have up down and let you know me. I'm going to be known by you. You're going to be my God, but I'm also going to be yours. I'm going to be your child. As a son and daughter in this place, you have the right to call him father. Abba, father is our connection to him, the New Testament would tell us. And so here we see that the first step is that we would know him and that we would be known by him. And then ultimately that we would be his people. And, and Rick and I have been looking at just how, how groups, and, and we already get together in groups, and I don't know how many different groups you're in. I, for, for us, we homeschool, and so there's homeschool groups that we're a part of, and, and we foster, and so there's foster groups that I'm a part of. I'm a part of a men's group that is just adoptive uh, and foster dads, and so there's group. We, we already group ourselves. Whether you're on a team, whether you play a sport, whether whatever you do, whether it's video games or photography or, you know, you identify with this kind of culture or you group yourself. But when we come into the knowledge of God and we know him, what his design was for us was to be family, was to group ourselves together as his body, as his family. That we would not only have him as our God, but that we would also be connected to his people. How many of you know there is value in being connected to his people? Amen? We're not intended to walk this alone. And in verse 13, I love this. Look at this with me. If it's running a little bit slow, Bethany, you may have to transition it uh, for me. This uh, fire tablet or whatever's uh, kind of moving slow. All right, Bethany, I'm going to let you do it from now on. I th- it's it's going to drive me bananas. I'm turning it off. And so verse 13, you see it up there. It says... Literally, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you would no longer be slaves again. And part of what I see in community as we begin to know God, as we begin to walk in life together, whether you're in youth group or kids quest or, you know, whatever it is, as adults, we walk in this life together. We begin to discover the freedom that he had for us. The freedom, the, the reason that he created you. You begin to discover that, man, I, there are some things from yesterday that I've not dealt with. And we begin to find the freedom that he has for us as he, as he had here for the Israelites was that they wouldn't be able to be separated from one another but would be grouped together and find that freedom. And God said, I broke the, bar, the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with heads held high. And this is such a simple, such a simple narrative here, but he wants us to find freedom and ultimately be able to walk with our heads held high again that we would be able to know our purpose and to fulfill it in this life. The reason that he created you, the reason that he created me, that nothing will hold us back anymore. Not, not only are we not in little slavery in Egypt, but we are no longer walking in the ways that used to be inside of us because Egypt somehow has become ingrained in us. And he's freeing us from all of this, not only externally, but internally, so that we 
can walk with our heads held high. Not because of anything we've done, but because of how good he is. And I don't know if the enemy ever comes against you, but this is one of the things I always would go back to, especially as a teenager and as a young believer. I, would, I knew the enemy would attack me and he would, he would always come against me, say, your face not real. Michael, you're not, this is just, you're making this up. Or I don't know if you've ever been attacked before by the enemy and he just questioned all of your foundations, questioned your faith, questioned if it was real, questioned if anything that had happened in your life up to that point that you were chalking up as God was really valid. And for me, this is what I would go back to. This is where I would drive my flag into the ground. The stake would be here and it would say this in my mind. I would say, you know what? I remember the things that I was bound by. I remember the sin I struggled with. And I remember not wanting to be there, but not being able to change it on my own. And I remember that when I surrendered to God, he radically transformed my life. And I drove my stake in that. Every time the enemy would come against me, I would say, no, but look. But look at what the Lord did. He brought me out of a place that I tried to get myself out of, and I couldn't. And I want to encourage you that when the enemy comes against you, stand your ground on the testimony of what he's done. Remind him about what God has done already in your life. Remind him of his faithfulness. Because there's nothing, I remember C.S. Lewis saying this, that the man with an experience always trumps the man with an argument, right? The, the man with, I think the actual saying goes like this, that's my version of it. The man with an argument is always at the mercy of a man with an experience, is the way C.S. Lewis said it. So the man who's, who's trying to argue that, oh, you don't, what are you talking about? How can that be real? What's this God stuff? I don't want to have anything to do with it. Oh, but, but I've experienced him in such a real way. I've experienced him in my marriage. I've experienced him in healings in my family. I've experienced him, yeah, in some of the bad things too, but he has been faithful and he has been with me. And so I want to encourage us, let's stand on God's faithfulness. Let's remind ourselves and let's remind the enemy when he does come against us, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, that we stand our ground based on what the Lord has done. Right? They overcame him, it says in the book of Revelation. They overcame him by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives, even unto death. And so for me, I look at this and I'm like, man, God, you, you want us to know you. You want us to find freedom and, and find that in community with one another. And you want us to discover our purpose with our heads held high. And I fast forward to the to the end of the book, to the book of Revelation. And let's look at Revelation chapter 21. Starting in verse 3, I'm going to read 3 through 5. Because what I'm trying to convince you of is that this has been God's plan from beginning to end. This was his original design, and this is what he is redeeming us towards. And it says in verse 3 of Revelation 21, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So you're seeing this. This is in the prophets reminding the Israelites of what the original covenant was about. It's in Ezekiel, and you're seeing it all the way at the end in the final revelation uh, that John would record as he sees the Lord, that this is like the culmination of the ages. This is what he has been destining us for that God's dwelling place would be among us. And I think about it, and you've probably heard me say it before, that there's nothing that distinguishes us more than the people you work with, than the family you're with, than the friends you, you have, 
There's nothing that distinguishes us more than the presence of God, than God's presence with us. Because for those that are far from Him, they can't cling to His promises the way you can and the way I can. And hopefully we declare through His presence and His promises the hope that we have, and it makes them want it. That we give them a taste of Jesus, and it makes them want to see what He can do in their lives too. And so here I see that that John is reminding us that, that God wants to know us. He wants to be among us, and He wants us to be His people again. He wants to group us together. And in verse 4, let's go there. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So what is he doing in verse, in verse 4? He's helping us find freedom. He is healing us. He is healing us from the hurts of our yesterday, of this world, of the things that happened to us. And I have a good friend that he says this. It's a, he's a fellow pastor in town and, and even another outreach ministry leader. His name's Paul Harris, and he works uh, with the Knoxville Dream Center. And he says this. He says, it's hard for a child to dream about their future when they're worried about eating today. It's hard for a child to dream about, and I'll say their tomorrow, when they're worried about eating today. Well, let me just apply this to every other area of our lives. Because I would say this is true for almost anything. It's hard for us to dream about tomorrow when we haven't dealt with our yesterday. Amen? It's hard for us to even see, God, what, what in the world could you do with my life when I'm so broken from what has happened to me up to this point? And God's wanting to heal us. God's wanting us to surrender to him and allow him to put the pieces back together. And in that magazine that I was reading, thanks to Chip and Joanna, Joanna's on the cover, I guess it's her magazine. I was reading this one article, it was really short, so I was able to finish it. And, and it was about, in, in Japan, they have this way of putting uh, broken pottery back together, and it was really neat. They actually take dust of gold, gold dust, and, and put it together with a, a gluing agent paste. And because of the strength of gold, they will put that in the seams of the pottery and, and piece it back together, and it will actually be stronger than it was before because of the agent that they used. And I don't know about you, the things I usually glue things back together for my kids, like last night, Ellie's Bible's falling apart, and I get out like the crazy glue with a K, crazy glue, like that's going to do something, you know, some Loctite or whatever I can find, and then my fingers are stuck together when I get done, and I'm really mad, and, but here I was gluing that together, but I'm pretty sure it's not stronger than it began. I'm like hoping it holds it through just today. And, and, but this, this process of taking something more valuable, of taking something even precious, of taking something that is of worth, and deciding that that's going to be the agent that makes a stronger bond. And I think about the Lord, and I think about what, what he sacrificed for us, that he would lay down his life, that he would give it all so that we could find healing and restoration, so that we could be made whole. And he begins to put himself in the cracks and the seams of our brokenness. And then and only then can it actually be stronger than it was before, because the Lord does it. And I think that is so true for how I see God doing things in my own heart. And hopefully you're seeing it happen in your life, that when the Lord is involved, when it's not me and you trying to fix ourselves, that we see that when we surrender to him and we let him do the work, that he makes it better than it was before. He makes it better than it even was when we first began because he desires to be with us. And you know yourself. You know the lies that the enemy has been speaking to you and, and pushing you towards isolation. But man, he's wanting to know you. 
And he's wanting you to fellowship with his people and have that community. He's wanting to strengthen you through his body. And ultimately, let's go to verse the next verse. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne, he said this. He said, I'm making everything new. I am making everything new. He says, I'm making everything new. And so write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. God wants to do something new in your life. I don't know what you expected when you started 2019. You're halfway through it. But God wants to do something new. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's serving a God who does all things great. And he wants to do great things in you and through you. I believe it. And so whether we're celebrating with those that are being baptized or you are just trying to make it through because of things that are going on in your life, it's maybe things are paycheck to paycheck. Maybe health is not where it should be. Maybe relationships are broken. Whatever it may be, I know that if we surrender and come to him with what we have, that he can make all things new. That when he puts them back together, not me, not you, they can be stronger than they were before because he's a redeeming God. Amen? He's a redeeming God. He makes all things new. And He will wipe away every tear from your eyes. And ultimately, the goal is, is that you would write this down. He's making all things new. Now share this hope with those that are around you. Use what He has done in your life as a testimony of hope to those that don't yet have it. And maybe it'll be some time before that happens. Maybe it's right now. Maybe it's at Wendy's where you're working. Maybe it's at my job. Maybe it's at the the, the lady at Walmart. This week I had an opportunity just to share with someone. And man, she said, I'm so glad we had this conversation. And it was about relationships. And it was just about health and, and prioritizing them. And she was like, man, I needed this today. Who would have thought when you go to Walmart for the pickup, now that it's up front, right, that, that God could use that moment with that encounter with someone there. Because if you're available, he'll take the story of making everything new and he'll bring hope to the world. Write it down. Write it upon the tablets of your heart to be read by all. Let the Lord use what he has done. So how do we do this? We recognize our need. We acknowledge what he has done and we let him do it. And we share our story of hope with others. Bruce, would you come up just for a minute? We're going to end in just a second. I want to read one more passage of Scripture. And we're going to end a little early so we have time for baptisms today. And there's still time. If you've, if you've not decided, you're on the fence, just get wet anyways. Today, I'm so excited that um, people are going to be literally declaring that He's made them new. People are going to be declaring that He has done something inside them that they couldn't do themselves. They've recognized that they need him. They've, they've acknowledged this of what he's done. They've let him do it. And now they're going to share their story and hope with the world. And there's no better way to share that hope than through baptism. It's so tangible. It's so practical. It's, it is literally the epitome. And I was trying to explain this to my kids this week. I was like, in other countries, it, it can mean life or death. It can mean disownment of your family. This, this is, throughout the centuries, it has meant so many more things than it does in the Western context today. And so Ellie was like, what? And Judah was like, their family would disown them? Yeah, because they're not Christians. 
and you're publicly standing for him and saying, no, this is, who I am. this is who I am in God. This is who I am serving, no longer myself, no longer Allah or anyone else, but the one true God. And, and they were just astounded by that. But we have an opportunity today to make a bold statement, even though our life isn't on the line here, to say God has done something new. He is making all things new. In Romans 6, I'm just going to read these verses quickly, starting in verse 1. Paul writes to the church in Rome and he says this, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Verse two, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. He makes all things new. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin today, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. I want to pray with us today. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for just the simplicity of the gospel, for the simplicity of the design that you have for each and every one of us. That I didn't come in here today with eloquent words or uh, in, in, trying to uncover something that maybe no one had ever seen before. But I believe sometimes, Lord, the most simple things can be the most profound when you bring your spirit's revelation to it. So God, I'm asking that this morning you would breathe life on the words and design that you have for us that we see from your scripture. That you desire to dwell with us. You just want to be with us. Lord, I thank you that when I wake up every morning, you're just waiting to spend time with me. And throughout the day, your thoughts are always towards me. God, would you, would you help me to grow in reciprocating that same pattern that, that when I wake up, I'm thinking about you. Throughout the day, my thoughts are consumed with you. God, I want to be so heavenly minded that I'm finally some earthly good. Lord, I want to be so so consumed with knowing you and connected to your people that we can't help but be the light of the world, a city set on a hill, that we declare the hope and wholeness that you've brought to us. We thank you, God, that you restore us, that you redeem us, that you put pieces back together, that in our failed attempts, God, we realize we can't do. So if you're in this place this morning and you say, Michael, I need a fresh start. There's some areas in my life, if it's one area or if it's in all areas. And you would say, Michael, I need prayer today. I need God to put some things back together that I have been trying to do on my own. I need a a fresh start. I need to surrender to him for the first time or the hundredth time. Would you just raise your hand so I can be praying with you this week? If that's you, yes. Amen. Anyone else? Amen. 
Father, I pray for each and every one of us, those that are walking through uh, some difficult times uh, in our personal lives, Lord, I pray that you would uh, allow us to walk with you in transparency. God, that we would be vulnerable and real with you. Lord, because we know that you see it all. Lord, we thank you that you accepted us, that when we were yet your enemies, you would die for us. That's how great your love is for us. We thank you that we have the opportunity to know you. We thank you that we have the opportunity to find freedom in you. We thank you that we have the opportunity to discover our purpose in you. We thank you that we have the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of those around us. Thank you that this is your will for each of us. This is your original design. This is your original plan for us. We give you glory and we celebrate with those today that are declaring you have made all things new. Amen and amen.